T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. On Sundays from 9 a.m. till noon. Put his glove over, try to do whatever he can. Now he's ready. Two and two for Garcia. And a right field base hit. Yastrzemski up with it. Throw to the plate is not in time. The first run with two out in the ninth. And Garcia drives it home. It is one-nothing Sox. Gavin lines it to left. And over the head of Peterson. He came in and misjudged it. And the carousel starts. A stop sign at third. It's two runs in. Abreu freezes at third. And the Sox take advantage of wobbly defense for the second straight day. It's two to one. Morrell drives one in the air, deep left field, this is going to tie the ball game. It's out of here. A two-run homer for Christopher Morrell, and the ball game is tied 5-5. What a rocket. Let's see if he does on one and two. Wisdom, it's a ground ball, base hit, left field. Coming in to score, Nelson Velasquez. Listen to this crowd. And Ryan called it exactly. It was a pitch in the strike zone. And Wisdom took advantage. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. Good morning, everybody. It is Sunday, the 3rd of July. Sing along. This week in baseball, indeed. On a Sunday morning, Hit and Run here with you, 9 to 12. This is right now, this morning. The most mutually positive moment in the 2022 baseball season, at least for me, on a Sunday morning on Hit and Run. I am thrilled to greet the day, greet you, greet the morning with the White Sox playing two very nice, clean games in San Francisco, taking advantage of sloppy defense from a different team. A pretty good team, the Giants, by the way. And the White Sox take advantage, play well, starting pitching. Struggles in the first, both of them, Lynn and Cease, but come through and pitch deep enough. Some good work from the bullpen. A little scary yesterday for a couple of moments, but a few clutch hits, including the big one from Tony La Russa's favorite player, 
on Friday night. So two nice wins for the White Sox on the weekend and the Cubs with two nice wins at Wrigley against a red-hot Red Sox team. Yesterday, shutting down that offense with who? With Mark Leiter Jr.? What? Huh? But really, Red Sox-Cubs at Wrigley is fun and special, and then shots were fired by a grumpy Red Sox pitcher after he took the loss yesterday, so we've got ballpark wars to discuss. But really, let's let's linger in the positives this morning. Good vibes, babe. Look at that White Sox infield positioning yesterday for the final out. I thought that was going to be a hit off the bat of Mike Yastrzemski. But they have played better, smarter team defense during the course of the year. Still sloppy individually on the fundamentals, but look, you know, can't ask the coaches to do everything. The point is, they're good positioning, and it was, I thought it was going to be hit off the bat, but no. I think the White Sox have played clean and good. And I start there and I think about them, and I'm tinged with a, a tiny bit of surprise because I've wanted so much more out of them this year, as perhaps did you, right? They're five and a half back with two legit teams in front of them in the American League Central here in early July. But it is not too late um, for them to make a charge. I need to be shown that they can make that charge. Things like this help you believe it a little bit more. We have played a lot of games. We've played 76 games, five away from the halfway point. White Sox at 37 and 39. Perhaps you feel like you know who they are and you're not feeling any of the positivity on the weekend. Well, I'm certainly feeling a little um, because they need to hit homers, which they remarkably have not done, including nobody with 10 yet. That's crazy. Crazy. Craziness. But uh, nice couple of wins, and let's discuss. Uh, for both sides of town, opening both sides of town, opening the phone lines right now for you at 312-644-6767. We'll check in with the opposition. Um, my guy Mark Willard, San Francisco a Radio. Uh, Mark does, is a host at 95.7 The Game, does a Giants podcast as well. We'll talk Giants and White Sox. With him, including several former Chicagoans within that Giants organization, the former Cubs GM, uh, the former Cubs front office guy, Scott Harris, is the GM. Got Carlos Rodon there, obviously. Got Yermin Mercedes there, Luis Gonzalez there. We'll talk about these games so far a little bit with Willard next hour. Rob Bradford are from WEEI Radio, our Odyssey sister station in Boston, has been there forever, does a great job. With Red Sox stuff, we'll talk Red Sox and Cubs at around 1040 or so with him. Later in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll uh, really get you ready for the ball games later on today and tomorrow, for that matter, since it's a holiday weekend. And we'll get Cam connected to round out the show at around 1140 or so. Later on, we're going to talk about an absolutely beautiful newspaper profile of a full-on baseball gem in Chicago. We will talk about that and a few other things I will I will bring you along the way. Um, a piece of sound found its way to me about an all-time great in MLB from an all-time great broadcaster in MLB. And it strikes me very deeply as one of the ways in which I watch baseball and watch people. 
all throughout my life. So I want to share that with you and see how you guys are feeling about that. So we'll do some of that. Um, we've got Seiya Suzuki on the comeback trail. We've got Eloy Jimenez on the comeback trail. And just a ton of things around baseball to discuss, including Babe effing Ruth. So much, so much on the docket. So feel free to get involved along the way at 312-644-6767. That is the phone number, and it's also how you text the show. The Tech Zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at rosenhyundai.com. You are listening to The Score, Sports Radio 670, as we broadcast live from The Score's Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And coming up after me at noon, it's Cody Decker with Down the Line. And after deck, we will indeed have Cubs baseball. Cubs Red Sox pregame is 1245 on the score first pitch right around 115. So there's Dylan Cease, the American League Pitcher of the Month, throwing almost 30 pitches in the first inning. Lamont Wade Jr. homers on his bobblehead day. That must be nice. And it should be required, by the way, if you homer on your bobblehead day, you should bobble your head going around the bases. I mean, how do you not do that? Or wait until you're in the dugout and assume and hope the camera's on you and give it a bobblehead to your teammates in the dugout, maybe right before going down the steps. My God. Uh, Sean Sears produced the show. I would like a complete list of everyone who's ever homered on their bobblehead day. Thank you very much. Just go ahead and do that research. Maybe bobbleheadreference.com. Okay, All you're right. probably right. Yeah. I'll take a look for you. Yeah, thanks. Get on that. Appreciate it. There's nothing better to do than my random bidding for baseball details that don't matter. A mound visit for Dylan Cease in inning number one yesterday. A tough at bat by Tom Estella with two outs and runners on. Ground ball into the shift. There it is again to end it. That was big, just like Lance Lynn the day before, getting out of a very long and tough first inning with minimal damage. Cease again in trouble in the fourth, but he pitches around it. Overall, not his dominant usual self. Pitcher of the month in the American League for June, but he got through five, just four strikeouts. And it was nice to see the White Sox be the team to take advantage of sloppy play by the opposition. Giants defense rough in the fourth. The Gavin Sheets double over Jock Peterson's ultra fake blonde hair over his head and the hair that's on it. After he misplayed that ball, the Giants D rough again in the six. Brandon Belt tries to start a 3-6-1 double play, but the throwback to a covering web is way wide. Two runs score. And then Tanner Banks has been very good lately for the White Sox. Two one-two-three innings. Followed by Kelly and Graveman. With no Liam Hendricks, it's Kelly and Graveman. Both of them yesterday on back-to-back days. I know for a fact that that is the first back-to-back appearance for Joe Kelly. All season long. It's not by accident. I've heard that that was in the contract and not allowable till the 1st of July. Back-to-backs. Because Joe Kelly was hurt. Coming off an injury. Was worried about the arm. So that was either in the contract or a verbal agreement. Either way, no back-to-backs till the 1st of July. Yesterday, the first back-to-back for Kelly. Got two easy outs, then he got in trouble. Walked two, gave up a stolen base, hit a run. Graveman, in the ninth, after Kelly had gotten out of it, gave up three hits. Brought Belt to the plate. Brandon Belt is the game-tying run. Then Mike Yastrzemski is the game-winning run. Got him, though, as I mentioned, with the infield defense. 
am I the only one who sees Mike Yastrzemski at the plate? And I know that the stance is not his grandfather Carl's stance, because I remember Carl's stance, and maybe you too. You know, very specific stance and approach, and Carl would like twirl the bat from bottom to top with that front hand as he stood there in the left-handed batter's box. And Mike doesn't do any of that. The full swing and follow-through doesn't look anything like Carl. But there's just a little something about the feet and the stature. Couldn't take my eyes off it yesterday. I'm watching Mike Yastrzemski in the box, and I'm seeing, look how light he is on his feet. Kind of, you know, bouncing back and forth, staying real light with his very slow cradle. And I'm like, man, that does look like Carl. Just that little bit. Just the feet and the overall, the weight disbursement. And I don't know how much they've talked about it. I wonder how much. I mean, if you're Mike Yastrzemski and you're growing up and your grandpa's Carl, isn't your first batting stance, like your little league batting stance, isn't it exactly your grandfather's? It's got to be, right? Exactly. Spot on. It is exactly your grand. It has to be. I want to ask him sometime. Maybe Willard knows at the top of the hour when we talk to him from San Francisco. But I would assume it starts there and then you change and figure out whatever you do. But anyway, I I just couldn't stop looking at that. I enjoyed it so much. But a couple of good wins for the White Sox. Cubs with the two nice ones in a row. Are there things that matter? Are there things that matter that you're seeing in terms of the long term, the overall? I'll tell you what. Seeing Christopher Morrell bounce back the way that he has is a really good and healthy thing. And if you're wondering what I mean by bouncing back, there was a stretch there. There was a real rough stretch for Morrell. He went 16 games hitting 191 with a 222 OBP, a 309 slugging. That was in a 16-game span. His strikeout rate was over 45%. He was getting a ton of breaking pitches, getting dominated. Had four Ks on, I think it was Wednesday night. Just, it was an absolutely brutal, brutal stretch for Morrell that threw the 19th of June. And then since... June 20th. So we're talking about 11 games. He's hitting 327. OBP is 353. The slugging's 571. That's an OPS of 924 over the last 11 games. So 16 real bad games for Morrell. And it looked like the league had adjusted to him and he was in trouble. And then he bounces back. It's a really good sign. I like that kid a lot. And I don't think he's somebody who is just showing you a flash and, you know, once he's figured out, that's that. This stretch that I'm talking about is a really, really good sign where it seems like the league has figured him out, gets moved down on the order, and responds really, really well. That That's exciting. That's the kind of stuff that, that makes you feel a little next-level possibilities. And remember, there's other things to like about the kid. Um, his skills were always very high end in terms of the raw skills and tools. Could a light bulb go on and then it's just the skills and tools taken over? Sure seems like it with some comfort level and with some excitement. So look, that is a really good thing. Nico Horner hitting well, playing good defense. One of the better shortstops in the league right now. He is eighth best in MLB among shortstops. 
in wins above replacement. Can you double check that, Sean, at Fangraphs? This was the case about two days ago when I looked. I haven't looked in the last two days. But Nico, you can see it. You can see the quality of defense that he's playing. Um, and you see the quality of contact that he's making. It's just a very strong, smart, level swing. The bat spends a lot of time in the zone. And, yeah, some some nice stuff there with Nico. So you feel good about those. Um, there's a, a bullpen guy. Scott Efros is a trustworthy, useful piece for a bullpen showing it. And, of course, Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, stuff like that, things like that. So some some harbingers of good for the overall. Kyle Hendricks been real good two starts in a row now uh, with Jan Gomes as his catcher both times. Not a coincidence. So Nico is still top seven. Uh, he's actually six right now in terms of shortstops and war. He just surpassed uh, Adamas here a little bit. So so it just passed Willie Adamas. So mm-hmm. he's sixth overall. Yeah. So he's even higher than he was. Yep. Because he's been on fire lately. He's Ni- been great. Nico's been absolutely on fire. So look, here's, uh, here's the table that we set. A couple of nice wins for both teams. We have ballpark slander that has gone on that we'll get to very soon. But I want to hear from you all morning long via text, via phone call at 312-644-6767. White Sox fans, can you see two well-played, clean wins in San Francisco the last two days and allow yourself to feel the positivity and think that things can clear up for you and you can hang in this division where there are two legit teams in front of you? want to hear from you about that. And Cub fans, what signs are you seeing that make you feel good, if there are any, from, uh, from these two wins against Boston? So those are the, uh, the topics on the docket, among many, many other things. Hanging out, talking baseball with you, Matt Spiegel, produ- and uh, Sean Sears is producing lots of stuff to come, but you and me hanging out on a glorious Sunday morning right here on Hit and Run on 6-7. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Strike three call. Devers doesn't like the call. Out number one. Fastball got him looking. Looked like maybe a cutter. It's out number one. And that's a big out. That's Robertson getting Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers is just a phenomenal, phenomenal hitter. He is. 
And, you know, I've been doing Beat the Streak Daily inside the hits every weekday of the baseball season. I'll tell you what has been so, so fun about that is knowing full well who the best hitters are in the league and how they're doing on a daily basis, like doing all that prep every morning has just been so, so fun to feel inside it. Today is the first day that Rafael Devers has been tied atop the leaderboard for hits in like seven weeks. He's been leading MLB in hits. Now he and Paul Goldschmidt are both there at 100. Devers, a 325 batting average with a lot of pop, and he was taken care of. He was taken care of by multiple pitchers yesterday. How about that moment in the sixth inning for the Cubs yesterday when Mark Leiter Jr. got himself a double play ball um, at uh, at Wrigley, you know? And it, it, it got himself a double play ball. And Mark Leiter Jr., that's got to be one of the best moments of his of his baseball life. The son of the former big leaguer Mark Leiter, the nephew of Al Leiter, he of Yankees fame, currently on MLB Network, cousin of Jack Leiter. I don't know if we have any Mark Leiter from post game, but he was talking about that moment he was taken out of the game after that double play and just how special it was. This is a kid who was the um, who was a rookie for the Phillies in 2017, a Jersey kid. So he's thinking, "Oh, I'm going to play for the Phillies. I'm right near my home," and had a couple of good starts in there. Overall, though, not a great rookie season for the Phils. ERA around five, about 11 starts he had made. Pitched some for Philly in 2018, then claimed off waivers by Toronto, then hurt, bounced around Atlantic League, then Detroit last year, now here. And yesterday, after seven pitches from Alec Mills, he got to go to the bullpen, and it's Mark Leiter Jr. Mark Leiter Jr. goes, what, five and a third, strikes out five, after that big double play ball that I mentioned from Devers in the six, he gave up the run on that, but that was all he gave up in five and a third. And the crowd gave him some love on his way off the field. Quote from Mark Leiter Jr., that was pretty cool. I'll be honest with you. It was nice to feel that emotion. It was definitely a cool moment to walk off the field to that. Here's his manager, David Ross, after the game on the job that Mark Leiter Jr. did. That was really impressive, I think you know circumstances aside the circumstances made even better right like yeah that's um that's really good performance big time performance uh i feel like i had left the locker room and he's in the you know he was in the training room doing all his you know pre-game routine warm-up stuff and (laughs) i was debating whether he was in the bullpen yet or not when i when i called on him so very nice performance from him um you know they got a really tough lineup over there and to for him to to uh, give us that link was really impressive. So, love that. He wasn't even sure he was in the bullpen. <laughs> is, uh, is Mark Leiter out? He should be out there. And then apparently Mark Leiter Jr. had about 45 seconds. According to Jordan Bastion, Leiter had said he had 45 seconds to jump up, stretch out a little bit, you know, swing that arm around in the, wing mill, the windmill motion. That means I'm a major league pitcher. I'm getting ready to go, and then you come in and you go to the mound on the field, and you take all the time you want when a guy is out via injury. But still, that is uh, that is impressive stuff. I love when a guy gets a chance to do that. And so he did. So big moment for him and fun stuff yesterday. All right, let's get to this quote. We're, we're, we're trying. Um, we are efforting getting the sound itself. But um, we don't have it right now. We have the quote. The, the pitcher for the Red Sox is Josh Winkowski. Josh Winkowski. And he was good yesterday. Good for him. 
he's been uh, he's been pretty good. He's been a nice little breath of fresh air for them. But right here's what he said about pitching at Wrigley Field. Okay, I was in the ballpark on Friday. Uh, I went to college in Boston, went to a ton of games at Fenway. I've been in Fenway a couple times in the last 10 years. It's obviously changed a bunch. But Josh Winkowski, oh, it must be nice for those Red Sox players who love their Fenway to get a chance to pitch at Wrigley, right? Listen to this. He said of pitching at Wrigley Field, quote, it was a little underwhelming. Fenway kind of has a presence to it. I really didn't get that here, to be honest. I said to my mom last night, This place is very stock, standard, if you ask me. I didn't really feel anything, to be honest. Kind of just felt like another ballpark. Shots fired. Josh Winkowski. How dare you, sir? How dare you besmirch Wrigley Field? What do we make of that? What do we make of that? Because that's a dude who's pitched to both. um, Perhaps a little salty after the loss. Perhaps uh, reacting to everybody telling him, oh, man, you're going to love Wrigley. You're going to love Wrigley. But we can also have an honest conversation about it, can't we? Can we have an honest conversation about Wrigley versus Fenway? I mean, you tell me. You're the expert, right? Fenway feels tiny and cramped in a way that no place else does. Literally zero place else does. I have heard that it feels that way on the field, that you're like, how am I pitching a major league game in this freaking bandbox that is wedged into this tiny city block? Look, they had to make that wall 37 feet just to fit it in in front of the street. This thing doesn't even make any sense. Look at all these people. They're right on top of me. They're all right next to each other. They all are right next to each other because um, the seats at Fenway suck. Oh, they suck so bad. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a man of, of large S. And I am still slightly large. Not as large as I once was, but still large. The seats are so freaking narrow at Fenway. And there's no aisle to get out sometimes. You have like 15 seats from the left aisle and 15 seats from the right aisle that both end with like uh, just like a long bar in between them. So it's essentially 30 seats and you have to go past 15 people to get in and out. And everybody hates you because they're cramped anyway. And the sense of entitlement is so massive and they think they're supposed to win every damn game and lately they have. I look, I love Fenway. I really do. But the sitting experience is much, much better. And Wrigley feels more expansive because, again, nothing feels like the Bant box that is Fenway. So I assume that that's what he's trying to say, even as he fails to say it well and takes unnecessary shots at a national landmark. You jackass, Winkowski. Think you about what you're saying. Too. Get out of here. I hate you, too. Oh, boy. Who's that, Bernsey? That was Bernsey. He's a little heated. Oh, man. Doesn't like it when people talk about Wrigley badly, though. Yeah. Is that about Wrigley? No, nah, it's just something random. I think it's from Boris and him from forever ago. I, I got you. I got you. Um, But Wigkowski, man. I just don't get it, man. I mean, you'd think a guy playing in Boston at Fenway would at least appreciate Wrigley. But I guess, I mean, it's probably what you're saying, though, Speaks. It's like that. It, I'm sure it's a different vibe. I've never personally been to Fenway, so I can't say here. I know. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a different type of feeling, different type of ballpark, obviously. The, the sentimental reasons are there. But, I mean, 
what, what, what's bad about Wrigley? <laughs> Let's hear from some of you who have been to both. Um, feel free at 312-644-6767. The stock standard kind of place. Texter says, Wrigley does not have the same vibe since the renovations. They were necessary, but the feel is not the same. See, I don't, I don't actually notice that. I think they did a very good job, as they did in Fenway, frankly, uh, a decade earlier, of doing the renovations and the monetizations and adding the levels, but keeping the vibe of the ballpark. I do not feel that difference. Do you guys feel the difference at Wrigley since the renovations? 312-644-6767, if you want. Um, a texter does point out that not being able to see the houses on the streets across the way because of the video boards is different than apparently the Fox announcers that Amin and AJ brought that up. You can see some of them, uh, but certainly having the video boards, I think, is, is, is a very, very good and healthy thing. But th- just... I believe what Winkowski is responding to is the cramped and ridiculous tightening anxiety that Wrigley brings to everybody, or sorry, that Fenway brings to everybody and anybody. It is the literal definition of a band box. Now, probably isn't the literal definition of a band box. What is, what is, what is a band box? Is it a box that, for a band? Look, I'll look that up. This is very important. This is the important stuff. The, see, what a band box is a cylindrical box of cardboard or thin wood for holding light articles of attire. Uh, or, of course, the second definition, a structure such as a baseball park having relatively small interior dimensions. See, I think of it as anxiety-provoking when I think of band box. Like, this place is freaking tiny. The old Tiger Stadium had that feel. The old Tiger Stadium was like... All right, at a certain point, even though center field was deep, on the edges, in right and left, the field just stopped and the bleachers went straight up. Just completely and utterly straight up. And like the third, fourth, and fifth level at Old Tiger overhung, uh, it felt like onto the outfield grass. Old Yankee had some of that feel. Find myself thinking about the Chicago Stadium for when the Blackhawks and the Bulls used to play there and how those old upper levels had that feel of sitting right on top. Whether it's realistic or not, Fenway has that feeling, and it Wrigley does a little, but not much. Texture says, I've been to both ballparks. They both have that historical feel, but speaks that you're absolutely right about the comfort. Been to single-A parks that are better places to watch a game than Fenway. It's just not enjoyable. It's not. Yeah, it's true. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Talking Cubs, talking White Sox, and checking in with a San Francisco pal to talk Giants and White Sox next hour, a Boston pal to talk Red Sox and Cubs next hour, and much, much more. Mick Gillespie coming up from the uh, Cubs AA broadcast team. We'll get Cam connected before we get out of here as well. 312-644-6767. This is Joe on Hit and Run on the score. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, I'm on the elliptical here, so pardon the breath. But I agree 100% with the, with the Red Sox Park Fenway. Not only is it tight, 
95% of it is guys, so that makes it even tighter. And the angle, <laughs> right? Am I right? It feels like it. Maybe 90%. And <laughs> angle the seats toward the outfield. Yes. If you're trying to watch the pitch, you got to twist your neck. Yes. Yes. Wrigley blows it away. Yeah, I, I, That's my workout. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, in terms of the fan experience, absolutely. I think the fan experience at Wrigley blows it away. When they did the Reno, the renovations at Fenway, they decided to change very little about the seating bowl, and that has some charm, but the comfort level sucks. From the players on the field, the perspective of the players on the field, you know, that's one to ask uh, Ross it's one to ask some of these guys who have played for both. I'm sure Lester has talked about it through these many years. Ross was uh, talking about his experience with both teams yesterday. This is from the Fox broadcast. Um, Adam Amin and A.J. Pruszynski talking with, um, with David Ross. We'll get that for you in a little bit. Texter says, I got to say, I felt no anxiety at Fenway. Also being 5'8 and thin, I didn't notice the seat and tightness as a man your size might. I just got quaint old-timey vibes. Well, good for you. Good for you, thin person. (laughs) All right, so you didn't notice the tightness. Good. You just got the quaint vibes. That's nice. The seats at Fenway face center field, forcing you to sit oddly to look at home. That is absolutely true. And there's part of the seats out there in right field at, uh, at, at Fenway that just don't even make any damn sense. Some of the, um, the directions that, uh, that they sit. Let's go back to the phone lines. Let's talk to Paul in Valparaiso. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hey, good morning, Matt. Uh, yeah, quick, uh, quickly, you were talking earlier uh, about the positives of the Cubs, and obviously you know, another positive would be Suzuki uh, you know, coming back here quickly. You know, and obviously, I guess you you didn't really talk about Hap or Contreras because the likelihood is they're going to get traded. I guess my question for you, or more for Cubs management, would be the move with Hap. You just signed Suzuki for a hundred million, and you can't give Hap an extension in that same range as the left fielder that's the same age as Suzuki. Contreras, I know there's there's deficiencies there, but I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Why not keep those guys? So with the list you had, including those guys who are probably the two best players you're looking at a list of 10 to 12 guys that are positives along with some young pitching. And then obviously the young guys in the minor leagues that are coming in the, as hopefully the next wave, why not put free agents around them and spend some money and the next couple of years could be competitive while you wait till the young guys come up. What are you going to get for happen Contreras? That's going to be that great of a haul. Well, thanks Paul. Um, uh, Contreras, I think is going to be traded. I don't think Hap is going to be traded at this deadline. I really don't. And I think that they will absolutely consider an extension with Hap. Very interesting conversations that will take place there. Um, I, I understand, you know, um, what the value is in Ian Hap, And there's even more sort of some of the soft factors. As he talks more and more, he really likes being the guy. He likes being the guy to help shepherd this next batch of kids up to Fenway and show them what's what. I don't know if they love it, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Um, But he loves being that guy. Good for him. He's embracing that fully. And he loves the place, loves being here, etc. He also just watched some of his best friends get traded at the deadline and kind of, you know, be – be hardballed by the front office as they try and, and talk extensions. And Ian Happ being a, 
a union rep. I think it's going to be a complicated but interesting conversation. I'd have no problem with Ian Happ getting an extension. I don't know that I'd offer it right now. If I were them, I would wait. Um, I don't have to do anything at this deadline. I certainly would not trade him right now. I'd give myself a chance to hit the offseason and probably next year. Um, but, you know, I'd certainly start having the conversations. With Contreras, I'd, I think Contreras is going to get traded, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, unfortunately. I think he's a terrific hitter, and I like the personality a lot. I like the leadership a lot. I just, I just don't, I don't love him as a handler of pitchers as a catcher. I think he can be very good defensively in some other aspects as a catcher, but I don't love the way he handles pitchers, and I don't think that they love the way that he handles pitchers. And this is a guy who wants to catch. He's not just going to be a DH. I know he's <clears throat> taking some ground balls at third and could play a little bit of first as well, but I think this is a guy who's going to get paid a lot on the market because he is a catcher and wants to be a catcher, and teams will play him at catcher for obvious reasons. But I think this is an org that really wants the catcher to be a great handler of pitchers, a guy who gets the absolute best out of every starting pitcher because they are locked and loaded, because the relationship is great, because the sequencing thoughts are great. We have Jan Gomes. We have Jan Gomes from inside the clubhouse yesterday. Um, want to play this for you guys. This was with Bruce Levine and David Haw. This is the catcher, Jan, Jan Gomes. We have two cuts here. One is on sharing the catching role with Wilson Contreras. And I knew my job coming into it was uh, to keep him on the field as much as possible. The kid, you know, he's got tremendous talent, and it's, you know, coming to fruition this year. Um, as, as much as I, I do get to play or I get to just chat with him and talk to him, I'm here to, to help him grow his game and just keep him fresh coming in and coming to play every day. And then here's Jan Gomes on working with the Cubs pitchers, because I talked about it in this space last week, just how great he had been with Kyle Hendricks in that start in St. Louis that was just Kyle's best start of the year, and then Kyle followed it up with another good outing after that against the um, the Red Sox on Friday. Here's Jan Gomes on working with Cubs pitchers. When you have guys with talent, such talent as uh, you know Keegan and Steele, you're really just trying to get them to simplify and really um, trust and believe in their stuff and not trying to, like, you know, overdo it, overthink it, because, you know, that, that, that can get a lot of uh, the younger pitchers in trouble and, and it won't maximize what they have. You know, these guys have, uh, you know, plus-plus pitches in their all of their arsenal, so you're just trying to get them to really, truly believe what they have and, uh, you know, just be more aggressive and be uh, always pitching ahead in the, in the, in the count. You know, it's um, it's a very, very special thing when a catcher is great at that kind of thing. And it matters so, so much. And it's a night like last night when Martin Maldonado hits two home runs for the Astros. That's just gravy, man. They don't care what he does. They don't care what that guy does as long as he handles pitchers well. And he does. But a little offense, that's a bonus. That's how some orgs feel about the catching position. I believe the Cubs are one of them. And I believe that's one of the big reasons that they will trade Wilson Contreras for um, – what I suspect will be, on paper, the best prospect haul of, of maybe all the guys. We'll, we'll see. But, I mean, the way that Contreras is playing, you know, in terms of, like, if you're, if you're able to quantify it at time of trade, hey, they got two, or they got one top 100 guy, they got two of these guys, they got one of those guys. I, I suspect that the Contreras haul is going to be very good, but we'll see.
Um, you know, the fact that everybody knows the Cubs are going to do it might work against them, but we'll see if they have multiple bidders. 312 644 is the number. Before we get out of here, this is that picture from the Red Sox. We have the sound now. This is young Josh Winkowski, the Fenway pitcher, the Red Sox pitcher, after his first start at Wrigley, feeling underwhelmed. What was it most like pitching at, at a Wrigley Field? Uh, to be honest, a little underwhelming. I didn't really... Fenway kind of has a presence to it. Yeah. I really didn't get that here, to be honest. I think it's very, like I said to my mom last night, this place is very stock standard. If you ask me, I didn't really, I didn't really feel anything, to be honest. Kind of just felt like another ballpark. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything. Jackass. 312-644-6767. More of your calls on Cubs and Sox and all sorts of stuff here on Hit and Run. Regley versus Fenway. Fight! 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 The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. On the ground to first. Belt goes to second. The pass to first is way wide off the facade, and the Sox will take another one. Thank you very much. That was one of those balls that it's so in between for Belt. He tried for the double play, and the Sox get a couple. White Sox pick up a couple of runs, take advantage of bad defense by the Giants. We'll talk Giants and White Sox in about 10 minutes with my buddy Mark Willard from uh, 95.7 The Game out there in San Francisco. Text coming in, though, here on Hit and Run, 312-644-6767, about Fenway and Wrigley. Quote, Speaks, this is part of the Cubs' problem. Fans value the ballpark over the quality of the team. Cubs just win two games against a quality team, and you're concerned about a perceived disrespect of the ballpark? If the team on the field was treated with the same regard as the Park Cubs would be way better. I uh, I hear you. I hear you. Granted, I am feeding this to the listeners and the fans as the red meat that I knew it was. I, I, I must admit that that is the thing. But the value of the ballpark is a factor in all things. Listen to Ian Happ's comments over the last couple of weeks. People's comments on the place. Look at last night. What were there, 43,000 people? Last night, something like that. Outrageous. Over 40. And Ian Apps comments saying, like, it's just a special place. We've lost a bunch of games in a row. We win a couple, then the place gets going, and there's 40,000 people here. That is a gift. To do with that is a smart and, you know, hopefully passionate ownership's prerogative. For decades, the the Tribune Company and others just took advantage of the fact that people would come. I know there's a lot of you that feel that that's what's happening now with the Ricketts. I think they're pausing with their baseball guy literally telling them, let's try and be great for a decade. I know, we, I know that's what we said last time, but we screwed it up. Let, we're we're going to try and do it again. So that's why we're, we're taking a step back this year. But I think they're going to take a step forward next year, and I think they will spend a bunch in this coming off season. This is Steve. On the northwest side, who is on 670 The Score. What's up, Steve? Hey, um, I wanted to say I took my wife, uh, well, she was in my girlfriend, in 1993 to Wrigley Field and Fenway, five days apart. And she's huh. from St. Louis. So her idea of <laughs> you know, a nice ballpark was Old Bush Stadium. She doesn't like baseball or know anything about baseball. But she noticed the difference, exactly what you're talking about. We sat in the bleachers and had a good time. We were in center. There was Sammy Sosa. And then a few days later, we're at Fenway. And it was like right after Labor Day. The, uh, the Red Sox were still in it, but about five games out. It was like, win now or you're probably going to be out of it. 
And there was just a buzz that she picked up on immediately. I, she wouldn't call it entitlement, I don't think, but she felt like, she said, this place is so different. These people expect something to happen. They, they want these guys to win. And uh, I, I, I thought it was interesting you pointed out the same thing. Yeah, that is interesting that, that, that she felt that even back then. And granted, most of my time at Fenway was back then, although, as I mentioned, been there a couple times. There's, you know what? Here's an undeniable truth. Take it from me, a guy who grew up um, in New Jersey, went to college in Boston, has lived in Chicago since 92, since the night Bill Clinton got elected. That's when I moved to town right here. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a longtime guy. Also lived in L.A. for about a year and a half in the middle of these past 30 years. The people here, just in general, and Sox fans, I'm even talking about Cub fans. Cub fans, I'm even talking about Sox fans. The people here in this city, the baseball fans in this city, are the best, the kindest, the most welcoming. Even, you know, even if you're wearing the opposing stuff at Wrigley or at guaranteed rate, you, you, you end up in conversations. You end up in good, healthy, fun, relaxed conversations. Yeah, fan bases might have their moments of bitterness or whatever, but that sense of entitlement, that kind of like, that little bit of nastiness, it's not here, man. That's why this city rules, especially in the summer. And it's beautiful. And, and you know me. You, you know what I love to do more than anything. What, what is one of my favorite things at the ballpark? High fives with a stranger, baby. Let's go. Home run, a big moment in a game, whatever. You're feeling it. People turning around, looking at you. It, it's funny because like, I've talked about this for years. It's high-fiving strangers at the ballpark on a summer day. There might be nothing I, I enjoy more. Maybe and it, grilled onions? With, uh, you, yeah, I mean, add the grilled onions. They go hand-in-hand, hand, though, right? It, it, they do. They do. Like, I will put down my dog with grilled onions and the mustard so I can high-five you because that's, that's the kind of guy I am. But it's funny because um, uh, James Fox on, uh, on Twitter uh, sent this to me. It was somebody tweeting yesterday, high-fiving the random stranger sitting next to you at a ballpark after a home run is a top-10 human experience. I, it, top five for me. I've talked about it for years. Absolutely top five. It's just something. It's special. That camaraderie, man. Oh, man. It's, it's, all, it's all races. It's all creeds. It's all, it's all clothings. It's all identities. I don't care. Did you enjoy that? I also enjoyed that. Let's high five. Let's go. And then you do that, and your life is better. It, it, just, it just is. It's science, folks. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. A couple more hours to go. Really enjoying myself this morning. Hope you are, too. And a, a rare moment of mutual positivity with both of our teams. Let's check in on the White Sox and the Giants next. We'll also check in on Red Sox Cubs later in the hour. Much more to come for the next two hours. Speaks on Hit and Run up until Cody Decker at noon on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. 
Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.